Hello, listeners. We talk about a lot of things on the podcast that suggest either you have started growing already or you want to grow. And we work on the assumption that growth is adding to what you already are, not that there is a lack. This is something we sort of reached as an intuitive decision from how I teach and from how Tim likes to learn. But I crashed into an amazing TED Talk by Suzanne Eder all about the dark side of self-improvement. And it's really important, really interesting, and we're very happy that today Suzanne can be with us to talk about it. I'm here today with David Olney. How are you, David? Very well and not with the right coffee. (laughs) And as we said in the intro, we're here with a very special guest. Thank you, Suzanne Eder, for joining us. And thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I must say, it's been such a pleasure for the first few minutes we've been talking to you. It's just been a very calming, easing voice to wake up to. So, (laughs) Yes, because you really are our wake-up voice. It's awesome. (laughs) Maybe there's a second career in there somewhere for me. (laughs) Well, or, Or a third one by the sound of it. It sounds like you've done a lot of things well so far. Mm. <laughs> I certainly have done a lot of things. <laughs> Would you like to perhaps you know explain you know, where you started and how you got to where you are, you know, to position why you started thinking about the, the dark side of self-improvement? Well, I spent oh, over 20 years, I guess, I haven't done the math recently, in, in the corporate world. My professional career started as a CPA, Certified Public Accountant. And it was certainly a career that was satisfying in many ways, and I progressed quite nicely in that career. Never really deeply satisfied me. It wasn't fulfilling to me. I had I had longings to to be and be doing something else. And so a lot of my life was that journey from where I was to the something else. And at the time I started that journey, I had an aerobic studio that I was running on the side. I, I loved teaching fitness classes. And when I really took stock of what I do love and what I wanted more of in my life, I realized I wanted more of that. So my interest, my my hobby slash side job in fitness started expanding into a more general sense of wellness. That's when uh, the notion of mind, body, spirit was starting to really come to the the forefront of people's minds. And I ended up enrolling in a school, a four-year healing school, the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. So I learned a lot about energy and consciousness and the mind-body-spirit connection. And, you know, my whole worldview changed. Everything about what I thought I knew and believed was completely upended as a result of all of that. And and that continues, by the way. And so I shifted careers uh, away from being a director of finance or a CFO into being, at the time, a healer. But as I started working with clients, I discovered that my real passion was in in actually teaching and helping them see themselves differently in a more expanded way and to grow into the fullness of who they really wanted to be using these under these principles of energy and vibration. So I kind of transitioned from a healer to a teacher to a mentor and and a writer. I, I love to write. And so I began teaching through my writing. Yeah, which is fantastic because you have to capture ideas when they come to you. It's why I'm so grateful in a sense for the podcast because if I have a good idea, at least it's recorded somewhere and it's not you know, lost. I can go back, re-listen and go, right, that was that thing I wanted to think about for a week and develop more deeply. Yes. You need some way of capturing yes, things. Yes, you do. You really do. I, so I, you're exactly right about that. And that's what my writing is for me. And to get to, to finally circle back to the question that you asked, I've been working with clients now for many years, as well as I've been on my own journey. And what I observed was that people would come to me looking to make some kind of a positive change and looking for support in making some kind of a positive change. But underneath of that desire to make positive change was this belief that there was something wrong with them, that they were desperately trying to fix to prove to themselves that they were okay. So even though the there was a pure desire for positive change, there was also this other element, this other perspective they were holding about themselves that was something like, gee, there's just something wrong with me. I just got to fix this. And so when you start a change process from that place, you can't ever reach fulfillment because fulfillment starts from a place of fullness. I'm starting where I am. I'm whole and complete and I'm growing from here. When you start from a place of, of having a sense of lack, 
you, you just never catch up with that. You, there's always, you always, you're always viewing yourself as lacking in some way. You're not reaching your goal yet. Something hasn't occurred yet. You're not doing well enough, fast enough, good enough. And so the process would become a slog, you know, kind of a forced march as opposed to an exploration, an expansion, um, a realizing more and more of who they are. And I could see the difference between clients who came with one orientation versus the other. That was the genesis of my TED Talk. See, it's really interesting that you're kind of seeing people right at the point where they know they want to change and seeing which of those mindsets they've got. Because when I'm teaching undergrads at the university, what I'm seeing people is often at the beginning of establishing that problem. They've come to uni to do the degree because the degree will get them to the job. The job will get them to the income. The income will allow them to start to tick things off their list. And there's always a proportion of people where the degree is going to lead to the job, to the money, and all those things on the list are central to them and they really believe in them. And those people scream ahead happily through the degree in what looks like a very conventional way. But then there's probably more than half of any cohort who think they have to do the degree, and they sort of do to be a qualified grown-up, but they don't have to take on board all the other aspects of that profession or you know, becoming the perfect student. And you can see the beginning of that separation from self that eventually you're seeing and dealing with the latter separation from self. Exactly. And I'm, I'm just imagining what it would be like to be in a university setting where there is, at least here in the United States, I would say most people, that's probably a gross generalization, and I have no data to back this up, but certainly many people are going to university for, this is what I have to do to be a responsible adult. And there's not really any deep connection with who they are, what they love, how they long to express themselves. That is almost completely missing. It certainly was in my case. I, I, when I went to to college, to, to the University of Delaware, I thought that I uh, well, what my heart wanted was to major in drama and psychology. And my father told me in no uncertain terms, I would never make any money in either one of those areas. So I, I switched, I majored in business, I majored in accounting and economics, and it all made sense. It was very logical. There was plenty of data to support the fact that I could be very successful in a financial way with a business career. But I had left my heart back in, you know, in high school. Yeah. I had a wonderful student about 10 years ago called Janine. And her mum and dad and you know, her and her brothers and sisters had all migrated to Australia from Sri Lanka. And her mum and dad said, look, your first degree is going to be something that guarantees you can get a job. After that, you can do anything you like. And outside of the degree and work, you can do anything you like. And I love the fact that even though there was that pressure there to do something that would guarantee economic success, there was still the recognition, this is not a complete version of you. And that kind of in-between position seems to be the rarest message that teenagers get just before starting uni. You you might need to do something like this to have the income stream to do all the things you want to do, but this doesn't mean you have to become that income stream. And that that in-between message, I think, is the rarest. I reckon it's probably at least 55% of the students I teach are on a path because they think they're meant to be on it. And they're gradually getting lost along the way. And I think the most obvious way I've seen them getting lost is when I give them the freedom to go, okay, let's learn some skills for using our brain better. I don't know what you're going to use them to do. I don't know who you're going to become. I just want you to learn the skills so you can grow. And I get stunned silence. Because <laughs> it's a freedom sure? <laughs> It's a freedom to be who they want that's to amazing. be. I love that yet that's how you're presenting it to them. That's, a, that's a, such a perfect orientation to be holding around what, what we're teaching. So Tim, was that your experience last year that it was an opportunity to grow rather than being told to grow in a particular direction? You're the only person here I can nominate as former student. Mm, true. Yeah, we, we took a skills audit, didn't we? So yeah, we had to pick the, pick the Yeah, that's it. We had to pick the things that we wanted to learn that semester and I chose some things that I wanted to improve on. And it wasn't cheesy in the kind of way when you do like a professional practice or something like that where you have to work on the skills that are going to make you employable. I got to work on skills that were not going to make me employable, not necessarily. Mm. So what I did with the students, Suzanne, was just went through an asset-based thinking, a skills audit of what are your successes in your terms. Then from that, what skills do you have that allowed you to achieve those successes? Okay, which of them do you want to build on more? Or can you see some things 
that you've got some skills that are growing but they haven't led to success yet that you would like to work on those and up your chances of succeeding at whatever's on your list to do next. And even the freedom in that first hour, people end up writing pages in these skills audits. Mm. And my point at the start is I make the point, you know, this is not to share. This is for you. No one's going to ask you to read it out. So be honest. And it's not about what people think your successes should be. You know, so people write the most interesting thing. Like I've had students in the past who've desperately wanted to, you know, get to the Olympics. And, you know, the success is that they've got, you know, this great Australian time, but the next success is to go further. And you sit and chat with them and you go, okay, what's the normal career end for your sport? 25. Right. What are you now? 21. Okay. <laughs> you want to put some things on the list that are post 25? <laughs> <laughs> So what was the response like when you did your TED talk and said to an audience, don't try and change to become something you're not, try and grow from who you are and what you are? Did the audience kind of light up or was it a lot of your sort of students and friends going there to cheer you on or was it strangers and you sort of saw their penny drop moment? Well, I certainly did have a nice contingent of uh, friends and clients, but uh, the audience was much larger than that. So thankfully I was able to kind of give it a test run in front of people who had never uh, met me or heard of me. My sense of it was there was a lot of recognition. People were really understanding the message that I was wanting to convey that, yeah, I've, I've been just, and in fact, since then, now that my Ted talk, I think it's over a half a million views now. And I, I get emails, I get people saying that person that you spoke of, Darla, that's me. That's me. I keep, I'm just pushing, I'm pushing. I'm trying so hard to get it right and to, and to get ahead. And I've lost myself somewhere along the way. So I think it is a message that a lot of people can relate to. I work primarily with adults who have lived a while, perhaps in ways that just feel confining to them or just not ways that don't allow them to express their joy, their passion, what they want to give to the world. And so there's a, they're, they're coming to me having usually built some sense of, as you said, some financial stability. And the piece that's really missing is this passion piece. Whereas you're, you're dealing with, you're addressing people at a different stage in their lives and helping create that financial stability as well as to not lose themselves in the process. <laughs> so, so my message is easier for, I think, people that have kind of lost themselves to really hear. I think a really interesting thing with your talk is where at the start, you ask everyone to put their hand up, but you haven't even got to your question yet for them. And you, the audience put their hands up and you just, you obviously see all these hands go up and start smiling and laughing. And so does the audience. And I think that's a really powerful thing that I connected with is, okay, you asked them in such a nice way that it didn't seem like an order and it didn't seem weird, so they just did it. It was such, a, it was such a lovely, gentle <laughs> invitation. And that's one of the things, you know, the, the day that I sort of, you know, listened to your talk, I must have listened to like 20 or 30 talks that day, looking for things that were interesting to either put up on, you know, the Facebook page for Blind Insights or people to invite on. And I thought from the first couple of seconds where you just asked a question, look, everyone put your hands up and you hadn't even got to the if yet, <laughs> you know, if you've thought about yeah, that- self-improvement, <laughs> which is a wonderful thing. And, and then that made me really reflect on that, okay, that audience just wanted to respond to what you were about to do. And then I started thinking that we get these things at the uni I teaching called Student Evaluation of Learning and Teaching. It's out of a maximum score of seven. And my mean average is about 6.7 out of 7. It's up in kind of a crazy level that other academics just look at. And part of it is because if you're only inviting people to do something that puts a smile on your face, why wouldn't they want to be involved? You know, growth is infectious if it comes from a positive place. It really is. It really is. And that's what I stand for, as I'm sure obviously you know that. I'm, I just so believe in that this is supposed to be fun. I don't, not every step every day, but the process isn't meant to be arduous and a, you know, a forced march to the finish. It's, it's meant to be adventurous and, and expansive and yeah, who wouldn't want to participate in that? So I will say that the, the TEDx Wilmington crowd is a very supportive crowd. So, I thought, <laughs> but that's all part of the same energy that, that I, that I wanted to be in, you know, it was, it was a very positive experience for me. We, you know, we, I and the TEDx organization were a good fit together. How much of the self-improvement world do you think doesn't really understand it's pointing lacks out to people. Do you think people are just so desperate to help people sometimes that they go, head in this direction, you'll get this, you'll feel better, it'll be amazing. 
And because they're so focused on the endpoint, they forget that people need to be connected to what's going on. Do you really see it that people are just missing a step? That's a sense I kind of get with really motivated teachers. It's not that they want to send students to a strange place. It's just that they missed a step of asking, well, do you really want to go there? Where do you want to go? Who are you? Yes, that's an excellent point. I I do think that in, in their zeal, you know, when, when people have discovered for themselves some way of transitioning from where they are to where they really want to be, they just want to share that like, gosh, this worked for me. Let me show you, show you how it works. So I think in that case, there is that there's a, such enthusiasm for that this works and they just want to get it out in the world that they are missing that pause to connect, that pause to connect and say, why do, you, why do you want what you want? It doesn't have to be for the same reasons that I did. They're also, what I discovered as an entrepreneur the, in this kind of an industry is a lot of the marketing expertise, a lot of the uh, marketing experts really encourage you to market to people's what they call pain point. And so in, in doing that, I think, you're, I think we're subtly or not so subtly reinforcing, of course, the pain, but it's easy to go from there to, Oh my gosh, there must be something wrong with me. Yeah, it becomes a lack advertising question. You know, we're going to point out your lack and then put the thing in front of it that will fill the hole. So really, that exactly. whole Mad Men idea of advertising in the 1950s has crept into self-improvement because it means people can make money out of their brilliant idea, but their brilliant idea is twisted out of shape by being founded on a lack rather than a sense of growth. Exactly. That, that's, that, that is a dynamic that I have witnessed and... I have really pulled back from, I, I really have grappled with the marketing aspect of my work because so much of what I was taught was distasteful to me and none that anyone's trying to do anything harmful. Just, it's just a different orientation. And I didn't want to be appealing to people's pain points. I wanted to be appealing to their joy and to their passion and to their longings. We've done a couple of episodes on uh, William Glass's work. He was an American psychiatrist who I think only died about 10 years ago, but a very big part of Glass's work was this idea that you should avoid external control. Put information in front of people. Don't try and change them. And I don't think I really understood until we started doing the podcast just how extremely that had affected my you know, my teaching, the consulting work I do you know, with defense and lawyers and accountants and other clients. And the impact that probably has on students that when you're saying to people, look, here's some information, here's how I used it. If you'd like to do something with it, I'm happy to help you. But if it's not the thing for you, I've got 20 more things in my bag of tricks, let's move on to the next one. And it is such a different you know, response that you get from people it's when they really realize is. they're not being pushed or prodded. Exactly, exactly. And you're, you're starting from a premise, like you are starting from the premise that this person with whom I'm interacting is whole and complete and and growing and worthy of respect and they're wise and intelligent enough to make choices for themselves. And people can feel that they can feel that they're being respected, you know, and that's, it's so, uh, it's just so edifying. Interesting thing from my perspective too, like, I don't know when I worked it out, but being blind, I worked out, okay, this is in real terms, a lack. It makes dealing in the normal side of world harder, but it's also a lack that can't be fixed. So whatever it is, it's something that's missing, but it's not replaceable with something else. So you just grow around. It's almost like lightning hit a tree, took a chunk out, but the tree didn't die, and the tree grows around the scar tissue. It grows around the burnt wood. So my premise, I don't know how I got to it, but I'm very glad I did, was anytime you try and teach someone something, it may not fit with something that's happened to them or something that they don't want to develop or tried and failed at before and don't want to be reminded of. So if one thing doesn't work, move to somewhere else where healthy growth is easier. You know, move away from the lightning strike, move towards the green buds. You know, it didn't seem that complicated, but maybe that's because I had to work it out for myself first. And, you're, and you don't remember exactly how you did that? I mean, was it just a kind of a dawning realization that you were naturally doing that? Or did you consciously develop a perspective that was the most loving, the most supportive that you could? I think if I can narrow it down to two things, and I think this gets into the really the other side of your stuff that's really interesting, this idea of loving yourself, which I think we really need to talk about because that's something in Australia where we don't emote very well, <laughs> I think is very important. And I'm a, an Australian male who, if my eyes had worked, would have gone you know, army and wanted to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. So I particularly don't emote very well. In two ways, I think I worked it out at about age nine 
where I realised in a blind primary school that while the blind kids around me were somehow trying to work out how it was okay to be blind, I remember having a sense of, well, it's not okay being blind, but I am being, you know, I am blind. And thinking about it's not okay is completely pointless. It doesn't change anything. So just be blind and get on with it. And then I remember there a wonderful yes. point at about 27 of the final realisation, and it felt like a final realisation. This is an unalterable impact on my life. You know, the lightning scar on the tree is always there no matter the size of the tree, so stop bothering to think about it and just get on with growing the other bits. So it was, you know, I'd say two phases of an early childhood one and then a mid-twenties one. I don't know if that's insightful or helpful from you for your perspective. Well, what it beautifully illustrates is a, what I what I refer to as non-resistance. So as you say, when I would never ask someone to pretend or try to love something they actually don't love within themselves, for example. Don't pretend that you think something is wonderful that you really do not. Just stop pushing against it. Just stop judging it. We release the judgment and we can stand in non-resistance. And that's a wonderful word, non-resistance. I really love. It's very much sort of the Zen thing of, you know, what is, is. And some things what just is, are. Is. And yeah, what is, is. Yeah, what is, is. And it freaks people out because it's such a simple little phrase that has so much power. If you can get to the point with things in your life, you know, it's sort of you know, the Eastern version of the serenity prayer. You know, what's the thing? Give me the, the strength to accept things that can't be changed, the courage to change things that can be changed, and the wisdom to tell the difference. You're accepting some things that can't be changed. You know, Tim, we've been happily talking here and you haven't got to get a word in edgewise. When you were training to be a mechanic and you decided this isn't for me, mm. was that turmoil that then ended in a, a what is is or was it turmoil that didn't let off, let up until you were at uni and starting to see the benefits? How did that big transition from doing the practical thing to doing the thing that felt like you, how did that go? It felt like a return to center. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it in a well, very that's a perfect logical. description. Yeah. In a few words, you just did an awesome <laughs> okay, job. There you go. <laughs> but was it quick? It is. I was couldn't. It, it is the perfect description. <laughs> it wasn't painful. It just. It wasn't painful in terms of like a cognitive dissonance or anything like that. It was just. I think maybe disappointing. The um, investment of time in becoming a mechanic, just the sense of lost mm. time, and and also just the, you know the idea of working on something that I was passionate about, had an interest in cars, and then for that not to be a, as significant a part of my life as maybe I was planning. And particularly too because you hope that if you grow a passion, the passion will get better and better and fill mm. more time and make life easier. Yeah. So when you realise actually that some passions are much better as hobbies. <laughs> yeah, which exactly is what that is. So. Yeah, because the minute you start becoming a mechanic, well, how am I going to build this person? How am I going to tell them their car's a piece of crap and I can't fix it? Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? You spend most of your time trying to help people on the crappiest day of their life <laughs> yeah. instead of bringing joy or, or helping people grow, which is now more what I'm a part of. So, This topic is one that has a lot of nuance uh, within it, as I, as I know you both know. One that, that I want to offer here is it's whether we call something a hobby or not. I, there's a phrase that I've come, come up with called the tyranny of the one big thing. What we don't often understand about passion is not everyone has a singular passion like Mozart or Martha Graham. Not, not everyone comes into this world with a singular passion and talent that is so immense that all they could possibly do is that thing. Most of us, many of us have, have many passions and they change over time. And so it's not about just honoring a passion and then expecting it to be our livelihood from now until we're 70 years old. It's about learning how to flow with life. It's about learning how to flow with our passion and recognize, as apparently you did, Tim, recognize, okay, this has, this has run its course in this form. I, ex I explored with it and I explored it in this form. I've now discovered some things about it that, that uh, aren't a good fit for me. So now I get to follow where the energy is leading me at this point in my life. And that's, that's a beautiful way to live life. Mm -hmm. Suzanne, do you get the sense there in the US that, you know, with the size of college debt, that people just have to stay in that first career far longer because of the debt than they would? You know, they miss the opportunity to go sideways early and, you know, move from the first career they thought would suit into doing something that actually fits better with them. 
simply because the debt burden is weighing them down. We're just beginning to see this in Australia. You know, university debts are getting bigger and bigger. You know, but I don't think we're at the point yet of it having as much impact as it might be having there. Well, this is an interesting question because and this speaks to the larger part of my work, which is all about uh, energy and vibration and how our consciousness creates our experience. And at one level, at a, cer- at a certain level, uh, what you're saying is c- completely valid. I think people do uh, choose, maybe in a very resigned way, to stay in the career that was the outgrowth of their degree so they can get out of debt. That's a logical choice for people to make. And at the same time, it reflects a limited understanding, which most of us have, of who we really are and what's really possible. So it's our, our, our mental constructs, what we believe to be true about ourselves and what we believe to be true about what's possible is literally what shapes our experience. So if I believe that the only way I can pay off this debt is to stay in this job, then that's what I do. If I'm willing to consider the possibility that I am living in an infinitely abundant universe. I'm a vibrational being in a vibrational universe where there aren't any real limits other than my own belief system. I might be able to explore other possibilities for generating income and moving toward more of what I love. And that's, this is what I help people do. I help people find where their desire and their uh, beliefs about what is possible don't match up. Because what we try to do usually is we try to hold down the desire, we try to dampen it down, we try to talk ourselves out of it, rather than exploring the possibility of shifting the belief system it's, that makes it seem impossible. And that's, this is what I help people do. I help people find where their desire and their uh, beliefs about what is possible don't match up. Because what we try to do usually is we try to hold down the desire, we try to dampen it down, we try to talk ourselves out of it, rather than exploring the possibility of shifting the belief system that makes it seem impossible. What I'm seeing here, Suzanne, is lots and lots of people sticking with their first career as economic pressures build. Are you seeing a a similar thing there in the United States? And what kind of impact is this having on people's sense of self and their ability to even acknowledge that they're capable of growth? Well, that's that's a great and multi-level question. I need to put um, more spaghetti in that can if I tried. <laughs> I mean, for uh, if I had to pick one thing that stops people from honoring the deepest truth of who they are, what they deeply love, how they want to live their lives, it is money. Mm. They're not having enough if they if they make a change, and there are all kinds of reasons that we can point to the cost of healthcare, the cost of you know, student loans, there's, there, there are many, many things we could certainly point to and people do point to because they're experiencing it. So yes, like the immediate answer to your question is, yes, I see that frequently. People are so come to me because, because they're, they're weary. They're, they're sticking it out. They're staying with jobs that are not enlivening and they see no way out. But yet some part of them believes there is a way out or else they wouldn't be coming to see me. So it, it definitely does a number that, you know, economic pressure really can grossly diminish and deflate a sense of being a creative, empowered self. But they're, they're two sides of the same coin. And we're getting into the part of my work that has to do with the energy piece, energy, consciousness, vibration, and, and understanding more deeply that what we believe to be true about ourselves and about what is possible to experience, those beliefs then form the, they shape what we actually do experience. Our, our beliefs have a profound and direct effect on what it is, what, what kinds of ideas come to us, what kinds of opportunities come to us, what kinds of creativity we can express of our own. So a lot of my work is helping people to, to develop, to cultivate an expanded worldview that allows for possibilities that aren't immediately obvious, possibilities that we can't see in this very moment based on our past and our present but, but predicated on the understanding that we literally are living in an infinitely abundant universe and creativity is what has always expanded mankind. We, you know, it's, it's what evolves us. You know, we, we create new solutions that never existed before. And that's true at the macro level and it's true at the individual level. So a lot of my work is helping people work through their belief structures about uh, what's possible and see if we can shift some. Because, it, you know, what most people do is they just try to, they just try to dumb down their desire. They just, you know, they try to maybe 
well, there's so many different ways they might try to dumb down their desire, but they either stamp it out together and say, well, it's impractical. I, it's not even practical to think I could make good money doing anything else. And they just stay resigned or they find some other way, like maybe a hobby, which is lovely and wonderful. And I always encourage that. But again, they're, they're operating within a belief system yeah, that nothing else is possible. Convenient way to kind of shut down and the potential so for growth. My- the minute you've decided that nothing else is possible, you know, to decide you can't be an astronaut is kind of sensible in your 30s. You've already missed the boat. <laughs> but there's not many things like that where it's gone completely. Well, that's the point. I think a lot of people think in terms of known world. They think, they think in terms of known labels, known careers. And yeah, yes. Uh, am I going to become an astronaut at age 50? Probably not. But that's not the point. There's something about desire for space. There's something about the essence of the desire can always be fulfilled. If we think too narrowly about how it's supposed to look, then we, we're always limiting what might otherwise be possible. So I, I always encourage people to not think in terms of specific job titles or even terribly specific careers, because if we get too specific too soon, yes, we shut ourselves down because we can see readily all the reasons why it won't work. But if instead we look for the essence of things, what I want is a sense of adventure. What I want is to learn more about science and outer space. But, you know, if we start to just let ourselves expand the definition of what we love. I really like and see what, what's available there. That changes mindsets. things. You know, a growth mindset means you're willing to take little risks. And with each little risk, you learn something new about what you can do. And then you take another little risk. But if you've got the fixed mindset that you are who you are, Suddenly, you know, the world comes to a screeching halt and you stop taking risks. And it's fun to do with 18 and 19 year olds in a university setting because they should still be open mindset. And yet you see, because they're in a competitive environment for marks, that they've got to get a good mark because the good mark will you know, get the good job. The good mark will mean they have status. They're already becoming risk averse. And then you deal with professionals far enough into their career and it's, you know, it's still that yes. status thing, the sense of self. If I'm not this, I don't know what I am, so I can't risk being this. So it's opening up that idea that you can always be more than what you currently are. And actually the most natural thing in the world is to be more because quite simply by being alive today, waking up tomorrow, being alive for another day, you're more than you were today, even in the most practical terms of simply a little bit more experience. So if you can just see more experience as an opportunity, then that's the beginning of kind of opening up again, I think, to more as possible. No, but that seems like a dualism to me. Isn't to say that you could be more than what you are, isn't that already implying that what you are isn't what you could be? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're right logically. Yeah. Because it's saying that, you know, that whole thing, and it's a, a stoic thing, saying the only certainty is that tomorrow is not today. So even if today is really awful, the only certainty about tomorrow is it's not today. If it's not today, means you theoretically can do slightly different things and the world will respond slightly differently, mm-hmm. meaning there could be a different outcome tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And by having experience today and experience tomorrow, you are simply more by having an extra day's experience, mm-hmm. not more in a qualitative sense, more in a quantitative sense. There's more experience, more insight if you want to be open to seeing tomorrow as a new day. Have I convinced you or not? You're pondering. You you have, but that seems to be all in the eyes of the beholder as to whether they're going to be anxious about it or open-minded and have a growth mindset as opposed to have a, a sense mindset. of lack. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but again, this always is in the eyes of the beholder. That's why trying to get people to – it's not how I see you, it's how you see you. Yes. Again, the, the whole thing we were I talking see. to Suzanne see, before mm. about you know us being Australians and Australians don't emote real well, so we're not going to talk very easily about loving ourselves. <laughs> now, my guess is, you know, with your age and your different life experiences, to me, you're probably going to do better at talking about loving yourself than I will. You think? Yeah, just because you've lived more more experiences that you don't love is well, the idea. Just or? more of an Australia that will not let a bloke emote about loving anything oh. but his wife and his dog. I see. I see. I see. Feel free to laugh right now, Suzanne. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> well, I'd like to offer a perspective too on that on the um, question that, that Tim raised, and it's you know my my perspective on life is I use the word spiritual in its orientation, although I know that's kind of a loaded word. But what I mean by that is that we are more non-physical than we are physical. There the 
the, the greatest essence of who we are is non-physical. And those are our passions, our dreams, our hopes, right? It's the non-physical. And but when we say, I want to be the best me that I can become, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're that we see ourselves as lacking now. It, it's a mission that there are kind of, in a sense, uh, two different vantage points. There's the vantage point of, of me here locally in this in this physical body, having lived the experiences I've lived so far. And then there's the expanded version of me. I call it the expanded self, the me that is limitless in thinking, the me that has hopes and dreams and passions and an absolute sureness that I am worthy in this infinite universe of realizing as much of that as I can. So there, there are two different perspectives of, of me. And so me here locally, um, again, I'm growing. I'm, I'm here. I'm at this point. I have so far uh, realized, uh, realized, you know, made real certain aspects of my expanded self. Mm -hmm. And I continue to expand into more and more of who I am. I very much relate, I think, probably to that story or to that narrative. So I, I guess my question is, it, it, well, it seems to me that what you know, we said earlier in the podcast, what is, is. And so when you become, I guess, kind of self-aware, aware of these kinds of ideas that, you know, there is more I could be and I can do this in a very self-loving way and I can grow with a growth mindset and not feel lacking. But when I'm aware of that, to not do anything about it and be aware of it seems like I would then have lack. Whereas before I can kind of forgive myself for not growing, not having a growth mindset, if I were ignorant to the fact that it were possible. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> These things get very circular very quickly, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where the self-love piece comes in. So what, can, what, what do I do with that awareness? Do I judge myself for not being where I could be? Or do I love myself into mm. growing toward it? And that's you know, a it's, great thing. Uh, you know, you, go back to the same place. You, you, know, you can be aware and then either beat yourself up for not having used it mm. or go, well, okay, yes. aware. You're a little candle and I'm just going to like wave my hand a little bit here so you've got plenty of oxygen. So when you're ready, you can be a bigger flame. So, it, and again, I think that is the best way to maybe, you know, to get yes. our heads around this idea of loving self is that's going, okay, there's this awareness here. I may not have used it much yet because it's new, mm. but don't beat yourself up for not using it. Encourage yourself to use it. Yes, yes. Find out how it works. Yeah, exactly. And, and see, maybe I have my let, own let, the, let the awareness be a before a reason to, where I realized there was just to no appreciate, to celebrate. Wow, this is something I wasn't even aware of was possible before. Now that I, I am, just say, get up. Let me see where it leads me. And I would. And it didn't make any overt threat, but there wasn't much warmth in that get up voice. <laughs> <laughs> up. Yeah, it's it, it is like a it's a very metaphysical form of discipline where yeah. it's like if I don't let if I don't go to gym one day I shouldn't let that defeat me from going the next no, day and that's that trick yeah. you lose does. whereas I'd say post 27 my get up voice would be instead hey David get up there's cool stuff out there mm. oh okay yeah it went from sort of a get up as a, a, a veiled threat to <laughs> get up because there's cool stuff out there so as long as you get your own version of that conversion from a sort of harsh discipline mm. to a healthy encouragement that is still a discipline of sorts. Yes. And again, Tim and I will always come back to discipline of sorts because <laughs> again, we were talking about before the recording this morning that the way we knew we were human this morning was at exactly the same point. We'd both staggered around until we got in the shower, turned the water cold, went, ah, and then went, oh, we're both alive. Oh, cool. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of weird discipline of on a nine degree morning, turning the cold water on. <laughs> Oh, nine degrees Celsius. Celsius, yeah. Sorry, let's put this back in context. <laughs> so, whoa, nine degrees Fahrenheit would not be pleasant. No, no, no. Nine degrees Celsius wasn't real flash either. But, <laughs> but again, that that's not a yeah, that's not a nasty discipline. You know that if you do this little thing, you're mm -hmm. going to suddenly be perky. You're going to get an endorphin hit. It's just going to make going and standing at the bus stop or the train station for you mm. nicer. Mm. Okay, well, this is good. I do love myself. Awesome. I was getting a bit worried there. <laughs> Do you find, Suzanne, that you would be surrounded, I suppose, you're almost involved in an industry of people who probably capitalize on a lack uh, self-improvement uh, kind of industry, right? You know, TEDx, I'm sure, has plenty of other examples of people possibly even ch using like a lack marketing or, you know, lack self-improvement scheme. So you've probably come into contact with people who've probably maybe directly 
direct offenders. Uh, do you find that there's any backlash? Well, there is for, for sure. And I do think that's changing. I, I'm pleased to, re- to report from my end. When I first started doing this kind of work, I, I saw yeah. that everywhere. I saw, you know, other self-help teachers out there just really pushing a product, <laughs> pushing a formula, pushing their way, which really did kind of feed into, well, if you don't do this, there was that, again, that veiled, that, that unspoken, but kind of very clearly applied thing. If you, if you don't do this, you'll, you're a loser, <laughs> you know? So I think that was pretty common, at least here in this country, that was more common back in the, I'll say the 1990s and so forth, but it, it's evolving. The self-help industry is itself evolving. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, and it is evolving because of the backlash, right? Because people started to realize that they were feeling worse about themselves rather than better. Mm. They would you know, buy a book or take a course and they would, you know, march down the road of following those steps and they, they wouldn't succeed for any number of reasons. And they feel worse about themselves because they didn't understand that there isn't one right way to get to joy and happiness. It's, it's an intention. You said it's a, it's a state of mind you cultivate and you listen to your own inner guidance as to how that unfolds for you. And that's the point so, of inner guidance is it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to know what the end point is. It just has to be interested in encouraging you to move forward. Go, hey, exactly. This is interesting. Well, see, the like end this. Point, you go. I mean, there isn't, there actually isn't an end point. This is, this no. is the fallacy of linear thinking. Mm. Um, life itself is circular, cyclical, mm. organic iterative. It's not linear, but we ha- we keep trying to impose a linear model on things. And that's one of the reasons we get so, you know, sideways of how life really goes. So there isn't any point. There's just different, different levels of experience and expansion. Mm. I think, again, listeners, if you take one thing away from today, you know, I'll have a go at boiling this down and then Suzanne and Tim can have a go at boiling down the same thing. And that is develop a discipline of encouraging yourself to grow with a bit of an end in mind, but accepting that is just the next thing you want to achieve. And then you'll get, you know, another minute of going, well, what do I want to build on that? It's like Lego. You'll always have another block to put on whatever you're building. And you can change what it is as you go along. Absolutely. And we do change. We, You know, our desires change as we do. So absolutely, it's, it's a, it is very iterative. And yes, it's wonderful to say, hey, I'd like to reach this goal. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. As long as we maintain the relationship to the goal that isn't, isn't critical or punishing. Yeah. There's got to be an encouraging version of getting to it. And when you get it, it's like, okay, well, that was nice. And I'm here. And I've still got this encouraging, consistent discipline of all encouraging myself to do the next thing. Mm. Now, what am I going to think that next thing is? Mm. Well, and the next thing, if we're, if we're truly growth oriented, What's next comes from our des- our genuine desires, not what our heads tell us we should want, mm. or what we're conditioned to believe is the right next thing to want. It's it's the thing that we that we long for, and I, that's again it's, it's a bit of a dramatic word, but it, it's that it's that heartfelt. This is what I would love to experience. This is what I would love to create. That's the creative pulse of life. It, it's it's a desire to express and experience itself. Mm. Um, so that's, that's where, how we, that's an element of self-love that's so obvious that we miss it. That's why I often say to people, you matter and what you love matters because what we love is an expression of who we are. Yeah. And that will then become the next sort of foundational level to build on. So if you don't invest in it, how can you then do the thing that comes after it? Mm. So you know, your right. comment before about you know, there shouldn't be just one big thing because if there is, you're shutting yourself down. You can be moving in multiple directions, doing multiple things in balance just to see what that looks like mm. because it will provide yes. a broader, bigger, more stable foundation. Yes. So I think that's the big thing to get people you know, on top of you know, encourage yourself but get the discipline to encourage yourself every day. But it's also to go don't just have one goal. Have a few, you know, physical well-being, mental well-being, connection to people, ability to do something well you can take pride in and share with other people. These are the absolute sort of minimum and then add to that. I also, I would encourage, because I think people can get too, too goal-oriented too quickly and then it becomes, a, it becomes rigid and it becomes a should and a have to do. Oh, okay. So mm. I encourage people to have visions to have, and to have intentions such as, uh, you know, how, how I want to feel, how I want to feel is alive, how I want to feel is clear, how I want to feel is focused. 
And how might I cultivate that? Like work, the self-love piece is really staying close to ourselves moment to moment. How am I feeling? What can I give myself right now? What do I want or need? So it's an it's a it's an ongoing relationship with self. And the goal thing, I just think is it's again, it's so easy to, to get it for things to get out of balance when we focus too much on goals. And even with things like fitness, mm. I'm a big fan of intentions rather than goals. Rather than setting it again, fitness probably is one of the areas where goals work really well. So this mm. may not be the best example. But even with fitness, I encourage people to say, How do I want to feel in my body? What mm. do I what do I want to be able to do not i need to lose x number of pounds by this date but what's the reason for that how again how do i want to feel how do i want to be able to move and focus you know our practice on those things and yes we will achieve results we'll achieve something will be different in and about our bodies and we can celebrate those things hmm. but if we get too goal oriented too quickly and set too many goals in too many areas it just it has a tendency to right away make us feel like we're not there yet and it's hard to get there. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I spend probably too much time doing yoga according to most people and, in my opinion, not enough time doing yoga. <laughs> like it's normally an hour and a half to two hours a day, six days a week. And the form of yoga, I do Ashtanga yoga. If you are stuck on a posture, you don't get to do the next one until you get the current one under control. And I managed to get myself stuck on a posture for three years. <laughs> Which, you know, most people quit by that point. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, well, every other posture before it has got significantly better. And it's the gains in all those other postures that eventually got me through the stuck one. Mm. So part of the thing is, if the goal was next posture, you're doomed. But if the goal is, I'm just going to keep getting stronger, more flexible, being able to control my breathing better, enjoy this more, feel beautifully physically centered. Mm. Oh, guess what? The posture happened. Oh. There you go. There you go. That's a beautiful, beautiful example. Yeah. I want to I want to share a little bit about what I've taken away from this because it's slightly different. Well, that's good. I'm as part of this podcast as uh, a student of you, David. I am I'm a learner. I'm someone who likes to maintain a, a growth mindset, has goals, all those kinds of things. It put, puts me in danger of being puts me in danger of having a lack mindset actually because and of the goals because maybe. of the goals so and and just because of being aware of what you know what I could be what I could learn and and how I can interact with the world what i'm hoping to do from now is to do some proper meditation and observe the thoughts that come through my mind that suggest that i should be doing something better or should be learning more and letting them pass by, ignoring them, and then trying to train my mind into thinking less about what I should be doing because it makes me a bad person if I don't do these things and trying to train my mind to thinking more about what I could be doing, what what I could achieve, or you know, what what is available to me if I do certain things. So be in the moment more than looking at that goal a month away. Uh, sort of. It's less about transcending what I was and more about what I could be. Yeah, being who you are. Yeah. So really back to where Suzanne started. Yes. That, that I, thing. You I've gotta, just taken that. You've got to be who you are Yeah, and, and just keep doing stuff. I just wanted to affirm with you, it's, the sweet spot is to appreciate ourselves fully right where we are, right as we are right now, mm. and to allow ourselves to ask what would light me up. Mm. I, I, I like to encourage people to choose their what next not from a place of the head, but from a place of the heart. Mm. So again, loving yourself where you are, appreciating yourself, listening to yourself, honoring yourself, respecting yourself where you are, as you are, and all that you've accomplished and all that you've learned and, mm. and cultivating that, that, that ability to feel good about that and then allowing yourself, wow, what would light me up mm. next? Mm. And so loving ourselves into that. Yeah, it's it has been such an emotional side of what we do in this podcast. So it's been really fulfilling, actually. Yeah, and yet because we try and be rational when we talk to people, <laughs> we underestimate the extent to which it's that positive emotion that informs the reason we turn up. Yeah, yeah. At, you know, oh crap, o'clock, and struggle with Zencast. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. It's the it's the it's the it's the passion. It's the yeah. connection. It's the because it lights you up to do what you're doing. Mm. Yeah. Suzanne, we'd like to open this uh, part of the podcast up to for you to, to just let us 
know what's next for you, but also if there's anything we've missed over the course of this conversation that you would like to bring up. Well, thank you for that. Gosh, there are many things. My work is so multidimensional and nuanced, and there are so many elements that I could I could offer as a as another <laughs> point of view. But I, out of respect for everyone's time, <laughs> <laughs> I will <laughs> I'll just I'll just say that that I think the a really great way to approach cultivating self love is not about necessarily emotionality. It is about Developing a relationship with ourselves that's based on really strong qualities. And I, I will often encourage people to think of the kind of relationship they would want with someone else and what what do, do those relationships have? Well, they have mutual respect and listening and caring. They have there's an honoring of each other. There's laughter. There, you know, there are there are elements of a really loving, supportive relationship that we can learn to cultivate within ourselves. And the first place to start, I think, is the listening, is listening inward. Mm. What do I already know in my heart of hearts about myself? What do I already know? What do I, what, what do I, what is it now time for me to honor? What truth of mine is it time for me to honor? <laughs> what was that phrase you used, David, oh. about the blokes who can only love their wives and their dogs? Or something? <laughs> it's just a very Australian <laughs> thing in my generation and older. You know, I, I know the word, the, right, same here, the, but you know, so the word yeah. love can often seem a little, you know, to some people. Yes. Or too, you know, loaded. It's, it's, you know, it means so many different things to so many different people. It can seem kind of mushy or, yeah. you know, baggage associated with it so that's why i like to use words like respect and honoring and yeah. listening and yes cherishing and appreciating yeah as you're talking and, there the um, one popping into my head is nurturing being, yeah you yes should, you should nurture yourself you nurture nurture, exactly you love. being compassionate with ourselves yes being kind being kind just that word alone if you just made a promise to be kind to yourself you would your awareness would, would expand greatly as to all the ways that we're not typically kind and then we'd have a a basis from which to make that change. So that's what I would like to offer about self-love before we close. <laughs> I think that's great because I, I'm going away now thinking about, you know, I can be kind to myself and I can nurture myself like I nurture other people without having a weird Australian bloke moment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you very much, Suzanne, for, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm sure there may be an opportunity to talk to you again at some point. I would welcome that because there's lots more we could talk about, I, I promise you. But thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And this has been a real pleasure for me as well. Thank you, Suzanne. It was lovely. All right. Thank you. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Peace out.